Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott. Not alongside this week. He is off at his pumpkin carving lesson. This year he's trying to put the image of Devon White holding a trophy. So good luck there, Scotty. We're rooting for you, buddy. As this week, we are doing a very important episode about the situation going on in the United States. A few months ago, we talked about what was going on with the Grand National Curling Club and the decision by USA Curling not to recognize GNCC. If you haven't listened to that one, we'll put the link down in the show notes. We have another situation in which the grassroots level of curling in the United States is coming together to advocate on behalf of players and members following the release of the Yates report. Now, Sally Yates, if you are unfamiliar with her, she is the former United States Deputy Attorney General. She held that position between 2015 and 2017 in obviously a long legal career. She led an investigation into abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in the National Women's Soccer League. Now, this is relevant to curling because Jeff Plush, the current CEO of USA Curling, was the commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League from January 2015 through March of 2017. And that's when a lot of the events that are investigated in the Yates report took place. So I thought it would be good if we went through the Yates report before we chat with our guests just to go through what's in there so that we're all on the same page with what Sally Yates found in her reports uh, and how this affects Jeff Plush's ability to lead a sports organization and what this tells us. So there are a lot of issues in the Yates report that uh, are investigated that go beyond Jeff Plush's time with the NWSL. But the principal one that has received the most attention happened in 2015 when Mana Shim, who was a player for the Portland Thorns, emailed a complaint about unwanted advances from coach Paul Riley. He was the head coach of the Thorns. And in her complaint, she noted not only were there these unwanted sexual advances, but there was also retaliation against her by Paul Riley when those advances were rejected. Upon receiving this complaint, Jeff Plush emailed the leadership at the United States Soccer Federation to let them know that this had been received, but did not take any immediate actions. The Portland Thorns did open an investigation, and Jeff Plush had spoken with leadership at the Portland Thorns and agreed to monitor what was going on and keep in close contact moving forward through the investigation. So the Thorns investigate, and in that report, they found that there were two particularly egregious 
acts by Paul Riley, one of which was a lewd text message to a player, and the other was asking two players to kiss in front of him in return for not having to do a conditioning drill the next day at practice. So those are the two most egregious things that the Thorns internal report finds. In her report, Sally Yates determined that the Thorns internal investigation was inadequate, that it did not go into enough detail on the complaint by Monashim and another player as well into the conduct of Paul Riley. And Yates notes in the report that Shim was a league employee, yet the league was not going to take any action to investigate this. They left it entirely to the club. And the Thorns wanted to keep things within the club. They did not, at the time, want this to get out. So Yates concludes that there was a willingness or a desire even to keep the information internal to Portland. And as a result, the investigation itself was inadequate. As the Thorns did not investigate Shim's allegations of escalating sexual harassment and a hostile work environment. Despite that, the Thorns did fire Paul Riley on September the 23rd, 2015. The reason for that firing, though, was kept private. The club, in their email to Paul Riley, stated that they were firing him with cause, citing some of the behavior that was found. But in public, the messaging was just that he was not going to be retained, and it was left to the public and with journalists that it was a result of the poor results or the lack of results that the team had on the field. Because Paul Riley had a track record of success when it comes to wins and losses, other teams were considering hiring him following the Thorns letting him go. As interest in Paul Riley uh, increased, Jeff Plush emailed United States Soccer Federation members and said that, quote, obviously his situation is complicated. One of the teams that was interested in Paul Riley was the Western New York Flash. In February of 2016, Plush emailed again to United States Soccer Federation officials that Riley was going to be announced as the new head coach and that it was not good news. Now, there are questions as to how much information the Western New York Flash received from both Portland and from the league itself. The league had seen and read the Thorns' internal report. And Plush said in an email that Gavin Wilkinson, who was the Portland general manager at the time, had told the Flash that Riley had been put in a bad position by a player and that Wilkinson would hire him again in a heartbeat. In the lead-up to Paul Riley being hired, the Western New York Flash, according to Sally Yates, only had one conversation with the league, and the report from the Thorns did not come up, and the league did not share that report with the Flash. As members of the league office felt that their role in hiring decisions was limited. In 2017, the Western New York Flash were purchased, 
and moved to North Carolina. At that time, the new ownership group of the franchise looked into their entire operation. Of course, that includes your head coach. They did have a conversation with Jeff Plush regarding Riley. And in that discussion, according to the report, Plush focused on issues with referees that could lead to a suspension for Paul Riley. He, at one point, grabbed the arm of an on-field official during a game. So that was the focus of the discussion between the new ownership group and Jeff Plush at that time. There was a request made for a copy of the Thorns report, but to the best recollection of the individual who requested that, quote, was that Plush either demurred that he would look into it or declined to share the 2015 Thorns report in light of confidentiality issues, end quote. So ultimately, during Jeff Plush's time with the NWSL, this complaint was brought to his attention. It was left to the club to investigate. And then when a separate club wanted to hire the individual, uh, Paul Riley, who was fired for this conduct, uh, the league did not provide the information to the Western New York Flash, nor did it uh, involve itself in ensuring that the players were protected So that's the primary focus of Plush and the report. There are other issues in the report, though, that are worthy of attention related to Jeff Plush. In 2015, there is a player survey related to Rory Dames, who was the head coach of the Chicago Red Stars. And the survey revealed that uh, players felt that Dames was abusive and there was a fear of speaking out against him. And uh, in November of that year, Jeff Plush emailed the results of this survey and noted that some of the comments made by the players in the report were, quote, quite disturbing. Yet, the Yates report found that neither the league nor the United States Soccer Federation took any action in response to these survey results. And then finally, There was a move within the National Women's Soccer League in 2016 where Jeff Plush and Lisa Levine, the general counsel for the league, took some initial steps towards workplace policies, including anti-harassment, but that no movement took place over the next year. Two Handbooks were created in 2017, but there is no evidence that these were finalized or ever put into place during Jeff Plush's time with the league. Now, it should be noted that Jeff Plush did not participate in the Yates investigation. He was asked to provide an interview to sit and meet with Sally Yates. He did not do so. So the information included in the report comes from emails, interviews with other individuals, but not from Jeff Plush himself. So the crux of the issue related now to USA Curling is that Jeff Plush was in a position of leadership within a sports organization, and he did not take steps when abuse 
and sexual misconduct was reported to him. There were not steps taken, as described in the Yates report, to adequately protect the players in the league and that the league's culture allowed this to take place. Now, Jeff Plush is the CEO of USA Curling. He came on in February of 2020 in the intervening couple of years from when he left the NWSL in 2017 to 2020. He worked with a sports marketing company. Uh, and then, as I said, now the CEO of USA Curling. So the question that many have been asking is Jeff Plush, an individual who can take on the responsibility of leading a sports organization? And is he someone who is going to take the right steps to ensure that the players are protected? And this report by Sally Yates, at the very least, raises serious questions about that. USA Curling has released a statement. This was released on October the 13th, saying that USA Curling is committed to ensuring a culture of respect and dignity with the well-being of people at the forefront of our actions, policies, leadership, and leadership's attention. Following the recent release of the H report, an investigation commissioned by USA Soccer into the allegations of abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in the National Women's Soccer League, the USA Curling Board of Directors called a special session and immediately commissioned an investigation of the information contained in the Yates report regarding USA Curling CEO Jeff Plush's actions during his time as NWSL commissioner. After reviewing the results of this investigation, the USA Curling Board of Directors is confident in Jeff's ability to continue as an effective leader of the organization. The findings in this investigation, Jeff's candor during interviews with the board, and his actions during his time as USA Curling CEO reassured the board about his strong commitment to upholding the very highest standards for athlete well-being. Additionally, the board is encouraged by Jeff's willingness to fully cooperate in the ongoing NWSL and its Players Association investigation. So that is where USA Curling currently stands. There has been a groundswell amongst the grassroots of the sport in the United States on social media. There are open letters. People are, are writing about this and being critical of USA Curling's position. One such document is the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. They wrote an open letter dated October the 13th. And in this letter, they call for Jeff Plush to be removed as CEO and to revisit the safe sport complaints made while Jeff Plush has been the CEO. So there is a lot there. We will link to everything in the show notes. If you want to read the Yates report, it goes beyond Jeff Plush. So it's a rather lengthy document. Sally Yates is a lawyer, so it is written like a lawyer wrote it. But you can go through and see the extent of the abuse and misconduct that was going on in the WSL while Jeff Plush was the commissioner and afterwards. 
Uh, we will also link down below to the DEI task force letter. You can sign it as I record this. It's up over a thousand signatures on there. Uh, so you can read that. You can add your name to that list. We will also include the statement from USA Curling, as well as a couple articles by Nancy Armour, who is a reporter for USA Today on some of the work that she has done into the NWSL and Jeff Plush in particular. So that's where things sit related to the Yates Report and USA Curling. We wanted to get a little more information in the perspective of some people from the United States who are involved in the diversity, equity, inclusion task force. So I had the opportunity earlier to talk with Monica Walker and Courtney Shaw. You might remember Courtney from our episode about the glitter bomb spiel, uh, which actually took place this past weekend out there at the Potomac Curling Club. An event which Monica actually was on the winning team. Uh, had the chance to talk with them about what's been going on. So let's get right into that discussion with Courtney Shaw and Monica Walker. All right. And Monica Walker and Courtney Shaw join me now to discuss this further. They are both from the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Task Force in the U.S. So Monica and Courtney, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. So let's uh, get into some of the specifics about what uh, the DEI group is working on for this and just maybe your reactions to the Yates report and USA Curling's response, initial response to the Yates report. Uh, Monica, if we start with you, just initial impressions when this started to come out and when we learned more and more about uh, what Jeff Plush's role was within the Yates report as described by Sally Yates. Just what was your initial reaction to that? Primarily just kind of shock and dismay. It's a pretty, I haven't quite read the entire thing, but it's a pretty tough um, document to get through. And just the extent of what was happening um, to those players that wasn't dealt with appropriately is really sad and tough to hear about. I think what makes it almost worse though was um, kind of USA Curling's response to it. My immediate reaction was that there was an expectation that action would be taken immediately and we would at least see Jeff Plush put on a leave of absence until further information could be clarified and provided and until we could determine what the best course of action was. But ultimately, we didn't really see any immediate action from USA Curling. No, and, and I think that's part of what is so surprising about this is that USA Curling has been so inactive in any sort of response to this. And, and Courtney, for you, uh, we were talking before, you just had the glitter spiel uh, there in DC, such a fun event. Uh, but what was the sentiment there? Because you mentioned it was kind of a, a dark cloud hanging over a little bit. What is a, a very fun, positive event? So what was the the sentiment there uh, at the Potomac Curling Club? It was it was a really great event, and it was hard not to feel this kind of hanging in the air. And it was on everybody's minds. And in particular, we had all of the the task force members and signers of the letter, except for for two members, were actually at the event. And uh, and I will give a quick nod to Monica Walker, winner of the event. Um, but, hey. but yeah, it was. 
it, you know, it was, it was hard to not feel that tension and, and get a lot of feedback from uh, curlers, a really diverse group of curlers that play in this event. And I think, you know, a lot of the feelings are very similar to what Monica has expressed already. But I think to add to that, it's sort of this question of why. Why does the board continue to stand behind a leader who doesn't prioritize the safety and well-being of athletes? That is the question. It's like he's becoming political kryptonite in our sport and they continue to support him. It's it it feels inexcusable to me. Um, and I, I don't understand the reason behind it. And I think that was that sort of dismay was felt amongst the curlers of the group. Yeah, I think curling has appeared on ESPN's homepage like three times in the last five years or so. Uh, one was for John Schuster's gold medal. So that was good. That was positive. Uh, the other was when Ryan Fry and his team got kicked out of an event uh, for being intoxicated. And then the third one was this. So Two thirds of the time, when curling is being is appears on ESPN, it's for very negative purposes, very negative things. Obviously, not what we want from the sport and how the sport should be represented by somebody in a, a very prominent leadership position. Uh, so, Monica, you you alluded to the reaction or the response from USA Curling. For anybody who hasn't seen uh, what limited response from USA Curling uh, has been, what is their response at this point and what are they saying that they are doing? Yeah, the response has unfortunately been very limited. It essentially states that the board is backing Jeff Plush, standing behind him. They've commissioned their own investigation and based on that investigation, based on Plush's actions as CEO with USA Curling and based on the conversations that they have had behind closed doors, that all those Factors indicate that the board is still going to back him as of today. And yeah, that's highly disappointing and, and highly contrasting, I think, to the rest of, kind of the general public's reaction to the Yates report. To me, it seemed kind of like a, a no-brainer on how to interpret that. And, and so it's very surprising to see that um, response. And Courtney, you mentioned the open letter. And uh, so, so with respect to the task force and that letter, how did that come together and what has the response been from signatories and the grassroots level of the sport to what you guys are doing? Generally speaking, I feel like it's been very positive. Uh, we've had uh, folks reach out to us kind of trying to, to get an idea of, of what they can take back to their curling club. There's been a lot of curling clubs that have issued their own letters and statements. And I think a lot of those kind of came in the wake of ours. And I would say, you know, ours came in the wake of some some early clubs that really were out there and and making a statement early. I will I will tip my hat to Bobby Todd from Curling Club of Virginia. She was on top of this um, former leader of our task force. She's been in our message group. You know, we've been talking about this since since the very beginning. And, you know, we kind of followed her lead when we were putting together our letter, and she's been really instrumental in helping us to spread the word and to keep the message strong. And it, it's been great. I feel like we've gotten a lot of momentum. I think we're over 800 signatures on the letter now, um, including, I noticed Kevin Martin on there. It's really nice to see a big name curler coming out and supporting this initiative. I feel really positive that we're heading in the right direction and we've got a lot of support and 
I think USA curling is just waiting for us to go away and forget about this. And I think that the curling population out there is saying, we aren't going to forget about this. Yeah. Just to add to that, Courtney, I've spoken in the past week, I've spoken spoken to so many athletes, both on the national team and not, as well as AAC, current AAC members and former US, um, USA curling staff members. And the sentiment, they share our sentiments. Um, they share the thoughts and the feelings that we wrote in the DEI task force letter. Um, but many are afraid of retaliation and they have a lot at stake. They have a lot to lose um, if they do speak up against USA Curling and then nothing changes. They still have to interact with that organization. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, um, the outreach on social media is unparalleled. I mean, curling has been trending on Twitter. And I think this is more than, I think a lot of people are unhappy with USA Curling currently based on some of the other stuff that's going on with the GNCC. But this is more than just social media unhappiness like this is a huge outpouring of response yeah it has been uh, extremely significant and monique you mentioned some of the players because obviously we've seen a lot of grassroots clubs and, and players get behind this and one of the things that has come up and rocks across the pond alluded to this when they discussed uh, this issue a couple weeks ago now when it was, things first started to come to a head a little bit that some of the players in the high performance programs are in a tough spot that this isn't, you know, NBA, NFL players who make millions of dollars and uh, have a little bit of financial security to take a risk in being critical of the individuals who are responsible for their salaries in that case, because they they can they have money and uh, curlers we know are not in the same financial position. Uh, so w when you're talking to those high performance players uh, and people who have been part of the program. How are they trying to navigate this, recognizing that it's obviously a problem, that there's a sentiment behind it, but also recognizing, as you say, that if nothing happens, they're in a, in a tough spot. Do they have, in your opinion, any leverage here that they could work behind the scenes with USA Curling to, to get to a, some sort of a resolution to this? So spoiler alert, in case you didn't know, um, USA Curling athletes don't make any salary. <laughs> um, they do funding for that barely covers their training, which is great. Mm -hmm. But talking about athlete power and position, um, those on the national team do not have a lot of it. Their entire curling careers are being decided by a couple of old white men who can pretty much do what they want in that regard. And as for the curler that's not on the national team, they of course would like to be. And so it's difficult to think about speaking out against the organization when you have, again, so much at stake and so much on the line. So I think the athletes that I've spoken to are really struggling with this. A lot feel very strongly that they're unhappy with the current leadership and they want to see a change, but they don't know how to go about advocating for their opinion. And I've advised a few, I mean, signing the petition is a great start. Um, getting active on social media is another great start, but I really do empathize with the position that athletes are in, in a place of not very much power at all. Yeah. And I did feel for, uh, it was Corey Dropkin and uh, I can't remember the women's team who was in North Bay for that slam. Uh, like that's a tough position for them to be in. You know, I don't know how many media folks were there or fans were asking them personally about it, but that 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 is a tough spot for them to navigate, particularly when, as far as I know, any major sponsors haven't really done anything about this, right? And there's relationships that they have with sponsors, those same USA Curling sponsors. So they're really in an incredibly difficult position, uh, those uh, those uh, players for sure. 
so you mentioned signing the petition and all the signatories that are there. It's a, a very well-crafted letter, obviously a lot of support. Any response from USA Curling to that? We did receive a response from Lynn LaRocca, the board of directors chair. She reiterated the same statement that was put out by USA Curling um, on the 13th, I believe. And I believe we are thinking about coming together and having a discussion. I'm not sure who the all the parties at the table are going to be, but I think they're open to um, discussing this further with us, which is a, a great sign. And that's encouraging. But our statement hasn't had necessarily the response that we've been looking for. And Courtney, so what is the background of the relationship? Like, what was the existing relationship between the task force and and these movements towards DEI? Because this is also this also comes up in the Yates report relative to Jeff Plush, workplace conduct and and policies related to that. And so, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about DEI in the sport and, and making the sport more inclusive. So, what was the existing relationship and how has the revelations from the Yates report further influenced uh, the nature of the relationship between the task force and USA Curling? I think we've struggled with some of the same issues of follow through, I think is really the one that's the most obvious from the Yates report that's carried over into the interactions I've had with with Jeff Plush and, and USA Curling since I've been on the task force. I joined in 2020 after, uh, you know, we were all kind of feeling a little down about the pandemic. I was, I was contacted uh, to put together a piece about glitter for the U.S. Curling News and, um, you know, myself and, and Laura Yee, who's also from my club uh, and also a task force member, you know, we said, you know, we'd be happy to, to, to write something, but we wanted to be, we wanted USA Curling to commit to some real change. The transgender athlete policy had come out in 2017 that coincidentally, like the same year we had our first glitter bomb spiel and we didn't agree with all of the positions in it. And we felt strongly that it should be updated. Um, and in the wake of us putting together this curling news piece, uh, we were asked to join the task force and we started working to update the trans- transgender athlete policy. We came t- came together with a really great group, um, including two transgender curlers who um, were instrumental in helping us craft these changes. Um, but it was really slow to push it through. You know, it was the same sort of thing. And honestly, if Laura hadn't been emailing like weekly, I don't know how long it would have taken for us to get this through. I count that document as as a big win for us as a group. And they were really sitting on it and really taking their time in moving forward with these changes. And and I think that's the, it really mirrors what we saw in the Yates report, um, you know, when Plush was, the commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League. You know, he and Lisa Levine took steps to devise workplace policies, including anti-harassment. And it seems that they just didn't ever see the light of day. And so it's the same issue of follow through and inactivity that kind of leads to, you know, a loss of momentum and, and an inability to change. And and I think that's been really been the same situation we've seen with them um, working working in this group. Is this relationship at all between the task force? Because as you mentioned, that follow through is slow, but the, the policy related to transgendered curlers that that is in place. Uh, so is the relationship tenable at all? Is there is there a way to work 
through it uh, or, or does it require a full reset at this point? I think it seems unlikely at this point um, that we can continue as we were. Rather than acknowledge and respond to our concerns, USA Curling attempted to delegitimize our group. They removed our names from the website and have repeatedly misstated that we were not a recognized group because not all of the members in the task force signed our letter. I would like to clarify that the members that did not sign our letter were two employees of USA Curling, one board member, and Jeff Plush himself. Those were the people who were not signing this letter. So every other task force member, past and present, is involved in this. So this attempt to delegitimize us and to kind of pretend like we just didn't exist and maybe we'd just go away, it's frustrating. And I, I don't see how we move forward without some sort of change. Yeah, um, to go along with that, you can't really have it both ways, right? Like you can't claim to have this DEI committee and and post on social media about all the great things that they are doing and then deny them existence when it matters the most. <laughs> also, you can't claim to be an organization that su- supports DEI work without really doing the internal work yourself. And that includes looking at internal policies, look at looking at the organization as a whole, looking at how you hire and fire people, how you post job descriptions, if people can have access to those positions, if they're aware of them, doing internal or intentional outreach for those positions, things like that, that we just haven't seen at USA Curling yet. So you can't have it both ways. And agreed, I think it's going to, I personally had stepped away from the committee um, before for personal reasons, as well as believing that some of the output was a bit performative. But yeah, it's going to be difficult um, to move forward in a positive way with the leadership as it currently is. What does all this tell us about USA Curling's priorities? Because we we talked with uh, the folks from GNCC earlier this year. There's a lot to unpack with that situation relative to what USA Curling is trying to do with its overall governance and and what it's trying to prioritize. So what do you think the reaction to the task force in particular, as part of the larger reaction or lack of reaction to the H report, tells us about what the current management at USA Curling is prioritizing? I think it's, it's kind of hard to say because my initial impression was that They were maintaining Jeff Plush because they were prioritizing sponsorship and money. Um, But the more momentum we're gaining with this, it seems unlikely that the sponsors are going to continue to want to interact with an organization that has such negative press and isn't on the forefront of of DEI change. I, I don't know how they move forward from that. Um, I don't know, you know, you did mention that we haven't seen any action from the current sponsors, and I will say that is is definitely true, but I don't know how we bring in new sponsors in the wake of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really does make me question what the priorities are. I think the only thing I can say for certain is it's not prioritizing the safety and well-being of athletes. Definitely. So on that note, what steps can, say, the task force take or just all members of the curling community, and this is not USA specific, this is everybody uh, who's listening to this in Canada and around the world. Uh, So what steps can we all take to ensure that curling as a recreational sport, uh, which the majority of of, uh, 
people who are listening to this participate at the record level uh, to make sure that all players are protected and safe within the sport at that grassroots level and, and ensure that this type of situation is not replicated at the club level. Uh, and, and obviously at the elite level, players need to be protected as well. But uh, as individuals and as members of the task force, like how can we all contribute to ensuring that, that, that that's the case? I think in the immediate present, getting involved with some of the social media efforts that we've put together, meaning signing the DEI task force petition, um, potentially encouraging your curling club to put out a statement as well, sharing some of this stuff on social media. That's kind of the immediate action. You bring up a lot of good points, though. Clearly, there's some problems here. There's some human resources problems, but also some systemic problems. So um, USA Curling works with an organization called Safe Sport to ensure the there's anonymous reporting available for athletes at all levels if they experience abuse of any form. And unfortunately, I think that on paper, that's a great organization, very well-intentioned, but we need to kind of re-examine how that organization interfaces with USA Curling in particular, as well as other NGVs. So where do these complaints go after they're submitted? Um, how are they processed? What happens after the fact? Does the person who reported ever actually get any information back? So all those things kind of need to be con- considered as well. And, and it's only then that we, when we re-examine those, those policies and, and the way that those organizations interact, then we can ensure that our athletes are have the best opportunity they can to perform, but also be safe in our sport. Is there anything relative to the USA Olympic and Paralympic Committee uh, that uh, is that a pressure point potentially for people as well? You know, we talked about the sponsors and, uh, you know, the perhaps lack of action from sponsors, uh, but is there anything relative to the Olympic Committee, Paralympic Committee that could be done there? The DEI task force um, did submit their letter to the U.S. OPC. We directly emailed Sarah Hirschland, and unfortunately, we got a response late last night that indicated that um, she was encouraging us to have a conversation with USA Curling, Curling's board, and US OPC would be willing to sit in that discussion, but that was really the only action she was willing to take at, at that point in time. So that's a bit discouraging. Um, it's great that they're willing to sit in the conversation and we'll see what kind of comes from that. But yeah, that is unfortunate because uh, that's another pressure point, right? For USA curling uh, or, or potential pressure point that uh, the Olympic committee holds uh, a lot of strings and funding uh, that uh, it's unfortunate that that's where we see change. A lot of times is when there's a financial implication involved and that that's when people finally decide to, to act. And yeah, so that's the, the sponsors, the USA are in the American Olympic committee. So, in that vein, what are some concrete steps? And I know it's, there's, and we'll include the letter in the notes for this episode. So go read the letter, sign the letter, and we'll include that. But including what's in the letter, what kind of concrete steps do you want to see from USA currently moving forward so that this can be resolved and the focus, hopefully, can get back to the athletes and playing the games and, and what goes on on the ice? Yeah, I think for me, it's change, accountability, and kind of looking back at our our possible missteps, Um, you know, looking into these old safe sport complaints that maybe weren't handled appropriately. But I think without some sort of accountability, and I think those are really the the pieces that are highlighted in our letter, um, is just change, accountability, and 
revisiting past mistakes and trying to move forward from that. Yeah. And just to piggyback off of that, I, I know like how hard change can be. Jeff Plush hasn't been CEO all that long, all things considered. And um, I know there was an extensive hiring process to to find and, and implement him, but change is hard, but imagine what it, you know, we all love curling. Curling is a great sport. It has so much potential, so many strong values, so much opportunity to include people from everywhere. Imagine if we had like the normal issues to deal with, like, oh, we need more sponsors. Um, we need more money. Like we can't deal with this growth. It's too much growth. We can't deal with it fast enough. But instead, here we are in the news talking about abuses of power and scandal. And it would be great to not have to do that and, and move forward in a normal way with like the normal growing pains of an organization so that we could truly share curling with with everyone out there in in the U.S. To piggyback off the piggyback, I will say, you know, Monica mentioned community and to me, curling is all about community. And it's something that I harp on a lot because of, you know, the events that I am involved with. It's it's such an important uh, event for, for the LGBTQ community. And I, I receive so much feedback about the comfort of people to come to that event and be able to be who they can be. And I think that's what curling is to our athletes. It's more than just a sport. It's community. It's a place that we sit down together. We have a drink together. We get to know each other. You know, I, I've sometimes said curling is like my church. You know, I could move to any place where there's a curling club and I know I have an automatic community. And that's, that's this, this sense that I feel like has been violated and the thing that feels like I need to preserve it because it's so important to me. Very well said. I'll say too that the Pan Continental Championship kicks off on October 31st. And with respect to our friends who are over uh, right now in Scotland at the World Mixed Championship, uh, this is the first high profile event that will take place uh, since the H report. And it would be great if the focus uh, for the American teams could be on their games uh, and not on uh, what's going on with USA curling. So uh, again, that kicks off on Monday, October 31st. So like, let's hope that by then uh, this is resolved, but we will certainly keep watching very, very closely and encourage everybody to check out the DEI task force letter again in the show notes. So just click on it uh, and go, you can sign it, you can read it. And we'll also link to the Yates report down in the show notes as well. So you can uh, read that. So Monica Walker, Courtney Shaw, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. So there you have it. My chat with Courtney Shaw and Monica Walker. I of course, thank them for their time. And as I said, check the show notes for links to the Yates report, the task force letter, uh, the USA curling statement, the Nancy armor articles, uh, if you want to follow up with everything that's been been going on, I will also recommend that from the hack this week in their episode, uh, they devoted uh, everything this week to what's been going on in the United States, not only this situation and, and Monica was uh, over on from the hack as well, but also what's been going on with GNCC. This is a, a big week. Uh, for USA Curling. So uh, if, if you want more discussion of it, uh, we'll also link to our episode related to GNCC, uh, but also check out From the Hack, uh, some great stuff over there. So that'll do it for us 
this week. We will continue to follow this story, though, as it progresses. So thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, likes, ratings, comments. All that helps us grow, helps other people find the show. You can visit us over at GameOfStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are available, plus a link to the merch. I've been wearing my new, appropriately sized uh, Game of Stones hoodie for curling. And I think I figured out the balance that when I play front end, it's too warm to play as front end. But when I play third, it's good. It's it's the, the right temperature when I wear it. And uh, I bought this one because the other two that I bought, I intentionally bought too large. So this one is more of a, a size that I could wear outside and not look ridiculous. So uh, you can check out the merch. Of course, all proceeds to the Sandra Schmerler Foundation for everything other than the t-shirts and the t-shirts proceeds to Food Banks Canada. And we are matching all of those. And if you want to follow along with everything else we got going on on social media, we are at Game of Stones Pod, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to reach out, let us know what you want to hear on the show or just catch up in general game of stones podcast at gmail.com so thank you again so much everybody for listening we'll be back with you again next week but until then keep those brooms on the ice don't dump that intern make the final